When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I think Kirk, uh, he's been different coming in here this this spring as opposed to in preseason as he was when he came in here last year. Um, you know, I think he's he's more about trying to help guys out and do the, do his job, uh, get the guys around him and, uh, on the right page and uh, go from there. But I don't you know, I don't know that he's going out of his way to change how he is or how, who he is. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, Matthew Collar here, Purple Daily, along with Judd Zolgad. And uh, that's a good place to start, Judd, is that uh, Mike Zimmer said... Kirk Cousins' approach was a little bit different this offseason to helping people learn the new offense. And I think that even here on September 4th, 2019, we are still getting mild little jabs at John Filippo in some different ways. And there were a couple from uh, Kirk Cousins where he was talking about well, if you go deep into the playbook and it's stuff that people aren't comfortable with, then it's hard to do. And like... Mm, who could you be referencing probably from last year? Uh, and, and I don't know that that comment from Zimmer is exactly a jab, Judd, but I do think that this year in dealing with Kirk Cousins' personality and with him maybe having some better understanding of how to approach his teammates, especially in an offense that he is very comfortable with, at least he can tell them, this is my offense that they designed for me, and I am in charge of it, so you do it the way that I'm supposed to do it, which I think would be an upgrade from what they did last year. I can't decide, after we heard uh, Mike and Kirk both talk today at uh, TCO Performance Center, I can't decide if they're trying to um, convince us and tell us this or convince themselves. And I can't also decide exactly how aggressive, Matthew, the PR spin is on Kirk's Changed. Like, it seems to be, there seem to be a very select group of people trying to tell you that Kirk has changed. Right. And and when Kirk was asked that, I feel Kirk was like, well, no, I really have not. And my guess is he has not changed much. But last year was such a debacle from on the field, play calling, what what was probably expected of a quarterback, especially one who is uh, cashing a check for $28 million per year, that this all seems to me, I am very, very much in the, okay, prove it to me camp. 
Like, prove this to me. You're telling me a lot of stuff. You're telling me that things have changed and that Kirk has changed and that and that uh, 2018 was not nearly as much Kirk as 2019 will be. And I guess I say, you know, until I see it officially in action, and not just for a week, but I'm talking a month. I'm talking two months. I Because I, I've seen this before, and it's definitely some spin, I just can't decide right now, Matthew, how much spin. Well, okay, so the way that I look at this is Kirk Cousins will not ultimately be a very different person uh, than he has been before. Uh, When you think about a guy who's been around in the NFL for this long, what is this, eight years in the NFL, that he's not all of a sudden going to change who he is and how he approaches being an NFL quarterback, which mostly is very positive in terms of his preparation. When I asked Stefan Diggs about that, that's where he went with it, was, hey, the guy is about as most prepared as he can be, so it's not different for this year for how prepared he is. Which you told me last, last year, year, too, though. Yeah, well, right. That yeah, was yeah. him and totally that's, last year. That's, and that's There's his, never been a preparation problem. Right. Here. That's his biggest asset is that he's very well prepared. He knows football. He knows the offense, the defense. He's going to be there late, be there early. He's all all those things that everybody always talks about wanting from your starting quarterback. But the area where we have to wonder, I guess, about Kirk Cousins is when things hit the fan, so to speak. And last year, there were enough times where there was a lot of stress on this team and there were down moments that they didn't handle as well as they possibly could have, in part because the guy who was calling the signals um, was, I think, not really... (laughs) Maybe he wasn't prepared for the pressure. Maybe this is something that he always does, but he was not the best leader in those moments. When you lose to Los Angeles and you come out after the game and you fumbled to lose the game and you say, well, you tell me whose fault it was, or you tell me what happened there to reporters who ask. And then you come out with a very long explanation of, well, I dropped to the right depth. And I'm, if I go to seven and a half yards, then I did my job and everything else. Not all fumbles are created not, equal, Matthew. It's very true. Not all fumbles, according to Kirk Cousins, are created equal. And, and, and explanations like that, I think, rubbed people the wrong way right off the very bat of like, oh, okay, this is how he's yep. going to handle these situations. Yep. And then when you got to week 17, it all kind of came to a head frustration that had been building. Now, it's certainly possible that that could happen again. But I've been thinking, Judd, that when you have an offense that's designed better for him, when you have Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak here who are essentially there for him, It's like everybody knows who the guy is, and it's Kirk Cousins, and if you're making the mistake and he blames you, then you're just going to have to eat that. Now, that could be particularly hard for a couple of guys on this team who didn't have to deal with that before, but I think they may understand the realities better, and I do think that enough people told Kirk Cousins after last year, look, you got to handle these things better, at least front-facing in front of the media. Which they're trying very hard, and, and it's not just Kirk. It's the entire team. Yes. It's Mike as, as well. And the easiest thing, and th- this is certainly not the first time that we've seen this in sports, the easiest thing in the world is to say, who's the guy who's gone? DeFilippo's gone. Yeah. It was Let's all pile him, yeah. on John. Um, internally, here would be my message. If I'm Zim, and I'm the boys, and I'm talking to him, here's my message. And I would hint to this to the outside world, probably wouldn't come out completely, 
but it would be this. It would be, gentlemen, this team's built on defense. We signed Cousins here because he was the best thing that we we thought at the time that we could get to upgrade from Case. But we never signed him here to be a complete star. We're we're paying him like that. But I would say if I had an internal, if I was to paint something in the locker room, it would be defense colon, it's on us. Because this team is going to live and die, ultimately. It needs the offense to be good enough. It can't It can't have uh, interceptions. It can't have fumbles. I understand that. It needs to score some points. I understand that. But the story of the 2019 Vikings and Spielman's future, and probably Mike's as well, very much so, I think is going to come down to the defense. And, and that's why I would say the forefront of my team and the place that I want the responsibility to really fall is on those guys. The offense has to be good, but to expect that the offense is going to be great is pie in the sky. It's not real. All Kirk was ever brought here for was to upgrade on Case, which, by the way, if he's playing his best, he should be able to do. But if this starts to default back to Kirk and the offense, something's gone wrong here. See, I look at it as if this offense does not improve, I don't care how good you play on defense, you're just not going to achieve what you are capable of achieving. Because I look at last year, and I I, I really think that there's this feeling amongst Vikings fans and even the outside world and national media that the Vikings defense fell off last year. And there, there really isn't any statistical evidence it did of, for, it of did, that. It did for the first four it, games, and then it rebounded really strongly. But the whole league, it was going bananas right. offense right. the but, first four weeks of the season. The math says from the second half of the Saints playoff game through the NFC title game through the first four games, it fell off. And then guess what? Because Mike is a really good defensive coach, he brought it back. But they really only had one bad game. I mean, I didn't think they played super bad against uh, Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers was good that day, and they end up tying. But I, uh, but, but it was really only the point, Los though, Angeles game. It was on national TV, and everybody saw it, and they thought, oh, well, the Vikings defense isn't the same. I'm not, I'm not saying that the offense doesn't have to be better. It does. What I'm saying is that I would publicly, instead of trying to publicly pin my things on cousins or, or yeah cousins has changed his ways or or you know John D Filippo's gone and so it's it's all going to be fine the public face that I want to paint is look at my defense yeah the no, offense I, does have to improve I, I I'm saying PR wise if you came to me and asked me what do you think Judd I would say you're built around your defense. Let's put let's put the burden on them because they're the ones who should be able to carry it daily. And to be honest with you, and I still don't know the answer to this question publicly. So I'm not saying on Sundays, but publicly, I don't know how much cousins can stomach. So I'm talking about my my message. My message would not for, be Kirk for, has changed. What do you mean by how much he can stomach? Publicly, I if things go wrong for him, I don't think in the heat of the moment he's he's very capable of saying of having the comfort to be say that was my mistake. I got to be. I think he says things and you're like, I don't believe this. So I'm talking about what my message would be. My message would be, let's put it on the defense offense. I need you to to be be better. But if I'm talking about you constantly, that's not what I'm built on. Yeah, I guess. Um... I don't see any way with this team, with the defense they have now, and it's a lot of talent, but it's some older talent that we have talked and talked and talked about, um, that they 
are just going to be able to carry you the way that, say, Chicago's defense carried the Bears last year, or that the Vikings defense carried them in 2017, or Denver in 2015 when Peyton Manning was decrepit at that point. I look at this Vikings defense as they'll probably be about the same or a little worse as last year, which was very, very good. But you have to understand that when there was a a sea change in the whole league from 2017 to 18, I would put it this way. I'd make the comparison to baseball. The, the balls were juiced last year in football with offense where they weren't in 2017. That was much closer to older school. And if you make a chart of how uh, passing games worked, it goes up and up and up and up consistently. Then has this random dip in 2017, likely because of quarterback injuries, but there could be other things at play there. And then goes right back up and right back on track in 2018. So I don't see that happening again. Last year, the Vikings finished fourth in yards per play allowed. They only gave up 15 passing touchdowns and had 12 picks the whole year. Imagine if you had a quarterback with 15 touchdowns and 12 picks. You'd be like, oh, okay, that's a backup, right? They were basically turning the opposing quarterback rating against the Vikings. Yep. Was eighty three last year, yeah. which like Brian Sipe would have had at some point, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were turning quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in two thousand eighteen, into basically starting quarterbacks from the eighties or backup level quarterbacks, and they only allowed thirty one hundred yards passing. Which again, if you had a quarterback that only threw for three thousand yards, you'd be like, "Is okay? What happened there?" Right? And so I think the defense last year, on the whole, was terrific. From from the start to the finish of the season with a blip in there that you're always going to have in 2018, 2019. So when those moments do happen, this is where they do have to ride Kirk Cousins. And this is where if he doesn't win those shootout games, he has to take the responsibility. But I think part of this whole thing is he's going to try to do that. We saw that even in the preseason game where he played poorly. But even if he doesn't, I've been of the mind, Judd, that everyone... Around him, Kyle Rudolph, Thielen, Diggs, all the receivers, the offensive line. Instead of last year, where they had, where they were like, "What is your problem?" Like we've never seen a quarterback like this before. We've never seen a quarterback who's this tightly wound before. Case Keenum was a Texas boy who just loved chucking the old ball around, and and Teddy Bridgewater. They they still talk about him in the pocket and all that stuff, and in the in the huddle and how great he was. But I just I think by this point though, with him as a leader, they should understand kind of where his assets are, the things that he does well as a leader, and the major shortcomings, and just deal with them. Like there is no more shock factor, and you know this stuff is coming. You have to work around it. And everybody, if he throws you under the bus, I'm sorry, but I don't want to hear about it this year, right? Because from you them, know that's from, coming from his teammates. You mean yeah, from his teammates, and I think that they. Even if he does it, and this is it's weird to give someone a free pass when they do something that we complained about you and I for a long time. Yeah, I but don't to, but, but Matthew, I, I don't think that works. I, I don't think you can do that. I, I think guys, I, I know what you're saying, and in a perfect world, that would be great, but that's still your quarterback. And if he's going up there to a podium and saying so and so didn't throw a block or insinuating that he didn't throw a block, you you've covered these guys long enough to know how that plays in that room, and I don't see it changing. Yeah. And that's I mean where, that would take a ment- that would take a mental toughness on the part of people that I don't know athletes who can be very fragile have. Yeah, yeah I think it's very hard for teammates to. Put, but that's why put I'm, I'm saying aside. I want I want if I'm the Vikings I want thousand percent want this offense to be improved and I think with Kubiak's system it should be. 
I am just trying to, from a personality perspective, gloss over and say the toughness of my team lies on the defensive side of yeah. the ball. So I want the thrust of the attention put on them. I know that they can handle it. What I'm telling you is I don't know that these offensive guys can handle it. Yeah. I'm not saying they can't. They shouldn't improve. They should. But the more that we're talking about them, once next week's game is played, the more that we have to talk about offensive deficiencies, that's an issue. Yeah, I no, I I agree. So I'm um, talking from but, a mental standpoint, it, but right. And if you're trying to take the pressure off of Cousins, I mean, even like last year, they push him into the middle of the whatever you call it, you know, the huddle. Yeah, uh, for, the Lin, the game, for the Linval role, right? For right? the Linval role, and he's supposed to yell and get everybody jacked up. Call it breaking him down. And well, I mean, they put it on TV, and it was all right, but it was still something that he had to be forced to do. I'm saying that. This team now should fully understand who he is, how he's going to deal with this type of thing. And maybe the solution is in part by Zimmer blaming his defense every time something goes wrong. He already set the stage for that uh, when it came to the preseason where he was talking about them being complacent. But is Zimmer really going to do that? It's the thing he's proudest of in the world. If he comes out and says, it's all all on our defense and everything else. I will say that his emphasis on the running game is kind of an indictment on Cousins. Like, we don't want to throw it 40 times. Oh, well, okay. he's con- he, he's convinced of, and we, we discussed this a few months back, of the old school thing. If I can only eat clock, it'll be fine. Yeah, and not turn it over. But and you that, pretty much shot that down through what, what you told me analytically on it. Yeah, no, analytically, it, the way that you win is by being a better passing offense and a better passing defense. And last year, the Vikings were one of those things and not the other. But I'll throw this at, at you again, and this is, this is why the only reason that I think Mike especially would be in trouble job-wise, and Rick would take the fall as well, though, is if the sea change that you brought up earlier in this conversation is true, you might come to the conclusion that a defensive first coach just isn't going to work in 2020. And I think that that's very possible, especially when that coach is pushing to try and run the ball more often. And now he said again, he was asked about it again uh, to the Atlanta media. And he said, I want balance. I want balance. I want the ball in the hands of Delvin Cook. And I totally agree with that. Uh, I don't think the balance is very necessary, but I do agree with getting the ball in the hands of Delvin Cook. And I think they were more balanced in close games last year than Mike Zimmer thinks they were, but they got down a lot. And this is where it all does circle back to Kirk Cousins and how everything does rest on his shoulders, I think, for this season. And so the question is whether everyone else around him can deal with some of the things that will naturally come up with Cousins that have caused them to to come up short, right? Like the, this whole thing about running play actions. It's it's not really just, oh, it's our strategy to run play actions. It's really how can we protect Kirk from himself because if Kirk is rolling out and he's got more time and he's not standing in the pocket with people collapsing on him, it's it's when you pay someone as much as they paid Cousins, it feels like, oh, he should just be able to do all but the stuff. He can't. But he really can't. And that's the thing, though. You paid him that much to get the best quarterback on the open market that you could get, but he was never worth that much. Like, that's the that's the conclusion of year two of Cousins that has to be made. And you might look back and say it was stupid to do, but it's too late now. He signed to a three-year fully guaranteed contract. And so this comes back to why when you hired Kubiak, this is all about trying to prop Cousins up. He needs to be propped up. Yep. You can't give him the football and say, go do this. And we saw that last year. It was a, it's a mess. Right. Very, very, po- very possible at the end of the season, they all said, 
we have to get real about this quarterback, that we have to do the same things we had to do with Case Keenum with this guy. And if you do a comparison of Case Keenum 2017 to when Cousins was at his best or those three years in Washington where he played pretty well, and you look at how they ran their offenses, it's a lot of the same thing. It's a high percentage of intermediate throws that come off of play action. Mm -hmm. It struggles on third and long, so you really can't get to third and long or you're going to be in trouble. But the difference is that Case Keenum had everybody behind him, for the most part, because of who he was, and Kirk Cousins did not. And that's where I think if he doesn't find a way to at least adapt to some extent to how he deals with these things, and if they don't as well, then you're going to run into a lot of the same problems. It's going to be deja vu. I I mean, they're all saying, and Zimmer said he felt it was different this offseason, and I thought the locker room after the very bad performance in preseason game was different, or at least he was trying. So it's like um, acknowledging the problem is the first step. Right. So now he's going to have to take the second step. If you lose week one, you don't play well on offense, the pressure is immediately turned up to I, nine and a half out of ten. I still, my biggest question, and this involves Kirk, but it doesn't start with Kirk. My biggest question for this team is, how is your offensive structure going to work? You've got Kubiak upstairs. You've got uh, Stefanski downstairs. And, and I believe it was in the piece that Mark Craig wrote for the Star Tribune yesterday, talking to Mike, where Mike's talking about how, yeah, there's ideas, you know, and, and one guy doesn't like the idea, the other guy says this or that. This is all happening in split seconds. Like, you don't have a half hour to be like, yeah, let's get lunch at uh, uh, Olive Garden, and then let's talk about run plays. Well, I, I do think that... This it, is going to be very intriguing to me. I think it isn't as uncommon as it feels, maybe. Like that, this happens a lot where everybody's on the headset. And sure, but can I, they? But can they coexist completely without a problem from week one? But what? What I? That's right. That's what I want to know is: Can week one you get on the same page right away? But also when you struggle, not if, because of course at times they will struggle with this quarterback. He always has at different parts of his career. Then how are you dealing with it? Absolutely. Then who, then who is under pressure? Then if Kevin Stefanski doesn't take a suggestion from Gary Kubiak, how does that go? And so there are a lot of questions to be answered here. Uh, Judd, you're going to return later in the show for Hot Routes. I can't wait for that. Sage Rosenfels is coming up next. Eric Eager at 3 o'clock. A lot going on here on Purple Daily. We will talk to Sage about how quick Josh Doxson can get up to speed. Can someone really come in like this and play right away in an offense that he doesn't know? I'll ask Sage Rosenfels when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. You know, I think picking up Josh uh, Doxson, uh, I think, was a, a great pickup in the sense that, um, you know, I played with him for two years, can vouch for him as a, as a teammate, as a person, as a player. I feel really good about him joining our, our receiver crew. That was Kirk Cousins. Matthew Collar back here on Purple Daily, joined now by Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman quarterback correspondent. What is going on, Sage? 
Not much, Mr. Collar. Just watched my son play uh, some tennis matches this afternoon, a tournament over in Lincoln, Nebraska. So that was uh, a nice uh, day, you know, perfect 75-degree uh, sort of late summer, early fall here. So uh, it's a great day so far, and uh, looking forward to talking about uh, the upcoming game, now, you know, regular season. Here we go. Let's do this thing. What kind of arm does the kid have? I mean, can he serve? Can he, you know, can he serve rockets or what? Uh, no, he's a he's Is more he a finesse of a, player. He's a more a little uh, not a finesse player, but he does. He was not uh, gifted with the uh, elastic arm that could create <laughs> uh, things to go at fast speeds uh, that I had. So uh, you know, he's a good player, and it's a lot of fun to watch. It's his senior season. And they got a really good team, so it sh- should be fun to watch all fall. Okay, so he'll have to do it with his his mind and not necessarily uh, hitting rockets. Okay, gotcha. It, you know, Drew Brees style accuracy. Uh, right. It's all yeah, about accuracy. Exactly. Ball placement, Footwork. all those things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sage, I want to know, how tough is it for a wide receiver who has been uh, going through all of preseason, all of training camp, OTAs, mini camps with another squad, and then you just sign him right before week one, and can you expect anything from him right away? How long does this take to get somebody up to speed? I mean, these guys talk all offseason long about how much... Uh, it's important, and we need to be here at minicamp and everything else. And if someone's not there at minicamp, then it's a big controversy. And I mean, can we expect anything from Josh Doxson right away? Yeah, well, I, absolutely. And I think uh, it helps uh, that you know he and Cousins have a couple of years of playing together. That helps actually a lot because that means that you know, listen, every team runs curl routes and skinny posts and you know these timing routes, out routes, these things that were you know the accuracy and, and the footwork and all thing has to be really really precise. These guys have been doing that for years or have been doing that uh, for a few years, so that's a nice thing right off the bat. Number two, and again, every receiver is different, I think, uh, but number two is that he's coming from Washington which ran a West Coast version system. You know, the Gruden, both Grudens are more West Coast language, at least. Uh, and then I know Kevin O'Connell, their, uh, their coordinator, offensive coordinator this year, he goes back to the sort of Kyle Shanahan, uh, his early days as a coach were Cleveland and, uh, and, and San Francisco, where Kyle Shanahan was. And so he's been at Washington the last, uh, you know, few years. And, and, uh, but, you know, that's the base of his language. So, you know, the language shouldn't be a big barrier. Uh, the, the, his timing with Cousins shouldn't be a big barrier. Uh, you know, and, and just in the fact that he has been in this style of offense. And so, uh, you know, the good thing is also in, in this offense, things are, uh, they're not overly complicated. There's, you know, there's some heights and, 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 and or I'm sorry, I should say sights and hots, uh, you know, where there's a blitz or something like that. But uh, there's not uh, an overt amount of that, like a Peyton Manning offense, where you have to come in and, you know, learn the obviously the language of the team, the offense, and those types of things. But also all of the audibles and all of the the the, the hand signals, all these various things. Uh, this offense doesn't have that type of complexity, and and it's more friendly, I think, for. A receiver to come in and learn it pretty quickly. So I, I was uh, listening to Kirk Cousins talk about Josh Doxons today, and he was saying, look, this is not just a guy who's a deep threat. He could be much more than that. If it's someone who's only able to do one thing, then it doesn't really help that much. Um, but you look at the numbers on Josh Doxon, and 
It's not like Cousins had insane success throwing to him in 2017. When Cousins targeted Josh Doxson, his quarterback rating was 87.8, which is better than anybody's throwing to Laquan Treadwell. So I can't help but look at this and say, well, yeah, this guy had catches over 50 yards and went up and made plays and actually did things on the football field when he was playing with Cousins. But the overall body of work is a guy who was a first-rounder who got cut. So, Sage, I'm trying to balance here between, you know, I actually think that this could work and he could be good um but also you know i thought the same thing about george iloka last year and he played a handful of snaps and then got benched forever so so i'm trying i don't know maybe you're dealing with the same thing but i'm trying to like figure out what i should set my expectation at for josh doxon well it's the optimism obviously you're a guy that was uh you know played a lot for another team to come here to be a third string guy so i i do think it helps that he's not you know one a, a number one or a number two that he was in Washington, and so you know it's harder to double that third guy because you know there's going to be so much attention to Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs that the number three guy is going to get some good matchups. And at six four, he might get some one on one type stuff, whether it's in the slot and it's on a, a small little you know nickel corner, uh, or it's on the outside. It's one on one, and every, the, the defense is sort of shifted to double both uh, you know the other receivers and maybe the tight end, uh, and he'll get some one on one coverage. And you know to have a six foot four guy rather than say a, a Chad Beebe. And you know when you formation it right, you know out there is that sort of single receiver. You know that's a pretty good matchup. And against again, like maybe the third cornerback or fourth cornerback of another team. So uh, you know, I imagine this uh, this contract was signed uh, at the uh, liking of the quarterback. I, I can only imagine that. You know, Cousins uh, was talking to Stefanski, was talking to, uh, you know, Rick Spielman, or they brought up to him, what do you think of Josh? And uh, and obviously he really liked him. So, you know, I, I think they looked at him as this guy's an upgrade to whatever the, you know, whether it's third, fourth, fifth guy, he's an upgrade to this football team. I uh, do wonder, and I don't know this uh, offhand, but I'd, I'd like to know if he's on any special teams. You know, sometimes, you know, six foot four receivers, believe it or not, can be really good special teams players for him. Uh, if he's just going to receiver, that, that's fine. He better be the third one because if he's the fourth or fifth, uh, it would be nice if he was on a, a couple different special teams units. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that he's going to do that. I don't know if he did in Washington, but I kind of think that he didn't. I'll look that up if, if he did or not. Uh, now, here's, so here's the question. I wrote about this for scorenorth.com. Sage. By the way, all offseason, weren't you talking about we got to get this third wide receiver? The, yes. You're talking about the yes. draft, I think. We, get, you know, we're gonna, we might draft a. You were like the only person in all of Minnesota Viking territory that believed the Vikings were going to pick a receiver in the first round of the draft, I, I believe. I did think it was possible, yes. <laughs> and I also wanted uh, Antonio Brown here. It looks like his feet are okay and he's got a helmet, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see well, how yeah, that goes. So. Well, here you go. We got your first rounder. It's just <laughs> yeah, four that's years right. after first he rounder. Was That's right. Uh, he did not play special teams at all in 2017 and uh, or 2018. So not a guy that I think you're going to expect that. And maybe that's why they kept B.C. Johnson, that he is someone who probably can contribute there, and the extra running back Mike Boone or Amir Abdullah, those guys can uh, contribute on special well, as I, teams. As I said, you know, when you're uh, you know uh, number one, number two, even number three guy, you're not on a lot of special teams. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to imagine if he's not the third guy, you know, can he add some other value to the football team? So this might be something he may have to do that he's never done before. So uh, you, you can't have your fifth wide receiver dressing for a game, sitting on the sidelines, right. waiting for you know the other two guys to get hurt or tired, right? So uh, you got to add some value to the team, and and he might be playing special teams. He, my guess, is just going to be the third guy because they can do so many things at, at the very least. If he's not a guy in the slot, he can be sort of an outside guy, and then you know Thielen and and Diggs are so good in the slot. I mean, that's why those guys are two are are so good. 
because they're very, very good outside of one-on-one, sort of on the island, and they're very good inside working the slot and the different combinations that go in there. So that makes those guys, you know, very valuable and, and, and makes, uh, you know, Dachshund's uh, height and be able to go sort of one-on-one, those 50-50 balls, uh, you know, that that would be a, a nice little, uh, you know, change-up for teams that come up and, uh, and bump and run you. So you mentioned that I did uh, around draft time, although I think at one point or another I made the case for literally every position except for kicker, punter, long snapper. Um, but uh, <laughs> It is the draft, and there's like right, four months to get ready for it, especially kind of what after you have the to summer do. one season. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So, But uh, that uh, weapons were important to get, and they did in the second round draft Irv Smith. So here's now the things that are different from last year. So you still have Thielen Diggs. Delvin Cook did play last year and was good when he played, so I'm not going to say that's different. Um, but you have now Josh Doxson. Chad Beebe is a player on the roster. He wasn't at this time last year. You have B.C. Johnson. You have Irv Smith. And on the offensive line, you have two different guys there. So tell me, Sage, now that it's kind of all said and done, in your opinion, did they do enough around Thielen Diggs, Rudolph Cook to give Cousins the support that he's going to need, especially, I think, in you know, situations like third downs and things like that where teams would start to just double-team uh, Thielen Diggs? Did they do enough to make a significant difference? Uh, I think so. They did a lot. Uh, whether it's enough, we'll have to see. But they did do a lot. And I, I think this is another addition, an, another weapon as a wide receiver here. Uh, the Irv Smith uh, you know, with the second tight end, you know, that's one thing we talked about. You know, God love Rudy, but you know, he's not a vertical threat down the field and a worm burner. And uh, you know, we think the the new tight end might be that guy. So that's a big move. And you know, trying to add some offensive linemen, including a first round you know center to sort of anchor that line, hopefully for the next ten years. I mean, I, I think uh, they did a really good job as much as they can do. Uh, you, you can't overturn an entire roster. You can't get all five offensive linemen. You got guys under contract. You got guys with experience. There's only so much out there you, you can't draft all new guys because they're young and they don't really know that much and uh you know there's gonna be some growing play, pains and everyone has to play well and and you know that the, the veterans that you know those receivers and rudy and uh you know Dalvin cook has to be healthy and, and kirk the veterans have to you know carry the young guys for a bit and get them up to speed but i it's a it's a good offense i tell you what there's a lot of uh, I would I'd have to think there are a lot of general managers and head coaches around the league who look at the Minnesota Vikings offense, you know, player by player, first eleven guys, and go, you know, I wish I had, you know, a lot of those guys on my team. So uh, I think it's it's a pretty good offense, has a lot of good pieces, and you know, there is a history, I, I believe, of you know, within uh, this off this this scheme, this zone blocking scheme uh, that Rick Dennison and, and Kubiak have been involved in for so long. Uh, you know, they can take a, a bunch of sort of guys and, and without superstars and turn into a very solid unit. You know, that zone scheme, the timing and the way they work together, it's very, very important. I think they teach it very well. So, you know, they don't have to have, you know, three or four. You know, it doesn't have to be the Dallas Cowboys to, for Dalvin Cook to run for, you know, 1,500 yards. The Dallas Cowboys offensive line that's so good down there that Zeke runs behind. They don't have to be that. And I think if Dalvin Cook stays healthy, you know, 1,500 yards to me is a, is a legit number. He has... Uh, he fits this system really well. Uh, that north-south game, that outside stretch game, stick your foot in the ground and hit it. And the thing is, when he hits it, he is out the gate if there is a crease there and, and one guy gets cut off or the blitz comes from the other side and somebody doesn't get to their gap. We're going to see some uh, runs shot out of a cannon this year. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of twos and threes and ones and, you know, those types of things too. That That's just all part of the football. But I, I do think that if Dalvin Cook stays healthy, he's going to have a whole bunch of plus 40, plus 50-yard runs this season. Well, and Sage, when you lay it out like that, 
that with Delvin Cook, and let's just assume he's healthy because you can never assume that someone's going to get hurt. I don't think. Uh, and the addition, I, I look at Delvin Cook. I, I assume he's going to. I hope he plays twelve games. That's that would be nice, right? Like, I don't look at him right at least yet because I haven't seen it. You know, as, as a sixteen game back. So if he plays ten to twelve games, that would you know. I imagine there's going to be some games where he's got a foot issue, he's got a hamstring, he's got something's going to miss a week or two. Uh, and then, you know, come back healthy because he's not a guy that you want playing really beat up. You, know, mm-hmm. you can't, uh, he's a Porsche and he, he wants to go fast. And if he doesn't have that, uh, he's not nearly as valuable. He's not a ground and pound guy. Uh, but I do think the Vikings have some other backs that can fill that role. So, well, I, I guess I was thinking about with this now that they get Dachshund. So they get that other receiver. And let's assume that Delvin Cook is healthy for even 12 games. Then Kirk Cousins now has a lot around him. It's not perfect. It is not uh, the 80s San Francisco 49ers when you had no salary cap. I still think that they could have made some maybe more savvy decisions with certain veteran players on the defensive side. But even then, they found ways to bring in a lot of talent to put around Kirk Cousins with two elite receivers and a running back who could certainly be elite himself and a first-round center and a second-round tackle and, and a very expensive left tackle and all those sorts of things. So I guess the way that you have to look at it now is that there is no excuse for Kirk Cousins if it comes up short. I mean, they got him freaking Gary Kubiak. <laughs> like, you couldn't have gone and found someone with a better and longer history of success in working with quarterbacks, and then you spend draft capital on the offensive side. Now you've spent some money to bring in Josh Doxson, who, by the way, if he had been a free agent and they signed as the number 3 receiver, I would have said, okay, this is great. This is exactly what they need is someone who can catch 35 passes for 15 yards a catch like he did in 2017. So I guess I get to a point, Sage, where over Overall, as we go into week one here, he's got everything he needs to work with, and everybody's healthy going into it right now, and it's very hard for me to see where Cousins could ultimately come away with, well, you know, it wasn't his fault because of X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, last night I started writing my article this week uh, for The Athletic, and, you know, obviously talking about sort of a preview of the season and different things I'm hoping to see about this offense. And, you know, Kirk has, over the last four years, one with the Vikings and uh, three with uh, with Washington. Statistically, it's a it's a pretty impressive sheet. You go look back and look at those stats, and man, thirty touchdowns last year, only ten interceptions, seventy percent completion percentage, and you look at a lot of these stats, and you go, man, the defense was ranked ninth in the league, and they won eight football games. H- how does that happen? You know, and and so I, I think for me. Um, it's going to be this journey this year where we try to find, you know, winnings. It's, it's sort of stats that really matter, you know, winning stats. You know, you guys are talking off the air, uh, you know, sort of about, uh, you know, all these things. By the way, if they win, all these conversations go away, you know, like how, you know, dealing with Kirk and maybe the things he sometimes says at the press conference, press conferences that could irk guys. If they're winning football games, guys are just going to let it go. If you're losing games, you know, then it's a problem. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking at winning stats, and you know, I was sort of thinking off air as you as you and uh, Judd were talking. Uh, you know, if he, it's first down and he gets sacked for uh, an eight yard loss, and it's second eighteen, uh, and he has two nice eight yard completions. Hey, he's two for two for sixteen yards, eight yards per completion. That's pretty good, huh? But problem is, it's fourth and two, and they're going to have to punt. Right. Right. So stats that matter, and I think uh, you know 
those are the types of things and plays that matter. You know, plays in the fourth quarter have more value than the first quarter uh, if they matter, right? So, uh, you know, I, that's what I'm looking forward to this year. It's not, you know, man, he threw for 300 yards. And, you know, we used to talk about last year, Adam Thielen having all those games of 100 yards in a row. It's, it's, it's imp- super impressive, but that, that's not necessarily a winning stat uh, for a, a, this style of football team, uh, you know, with the defense and those types of things. And so, I, yeah, we're, we're, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Kirk's plays and passes are, it's about efficiency, you know, getting the most out or most bang for our buck and, and, you know, not having those catastrophic plays and, and, uh, you know, those types of things. So we will see, uh, you know, if the, all those pieces and, and all that new stuff and how the new center, uh, you know, all these guys, you know, come to how this chemistry works because you don't see a lot in the preseason. You know, they're only out there for a few series the whole preseason and, and it didn't play great in their most extended stretch of time in that third game. So, you know, we shall see what the two t- 2019 Vikings are all about. Uh, in just a few days. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar here, Purple Daily. We'll take a quick break. When we return, it is time to bring something very important in our lives back, Sage, and that is Journeyman Quarterback of the Week. We will have that uh, when we come back here, as well as a very, very large contract for another quarterback in the NFL. Got to get your reaction to that. So we'll come right back here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Drink the Purple Punch. It burns your insides and it makes your eyes water. Purple Daily on Score North. Scorenorth.com. Yeah, that's right. It is Score North download time, and uh, I am Manny Hill, and um, it is 2.46. And this Score North download is a little information for you listeners, if you love Vikings football. It has been 10 years since we all went on that magic carpet ride with Brett Favre back in 2009, and we are doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Viking season. You can join Sage Rosenfels, who's on with us on Purple Daily uh, right now, Phil Mackey, Judge Zolgad, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind 2009 Vikings Edition. On demand anywhere you find your favorite podcast or just go to scorenorth.com and click on shows. That's Minnesota Sports Rewind 2009 Vikings Edition. That's your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Manny. Uh, Sage Rosenfels and Matthew Collar here. Now, last year we did podcast versions only of this show. Now it's over the air and it's wonderful, Sage. Um, And so if people do not realize, before each game by the Minnesota Vikings, we picked one journeyman quarterback from their opponent and broke down that guy's career. And uh, I've got a nomination for the Atlanta Falcons. You could tell me if uh, you're, you're going a different direction with this. I want to go Chris Chandler. How do you okay. feel? How do you feel about Chris Chandler for journeyman quarterback of the week? Well, he's a journeyman quarterback, but there's a thing about being a starter, and I feel like he might have too many years in the prime time. I mean, he was he was a starter on the team that beat the 99 uh Vikings I believe correct he was but now right? let, so let, I mean let me lay the case a journeyman though. starting quarterback maybe he uh, but, uh you know yeah he he did mostly start that's true but he went from Indianapolis to Tampa Bay to the Phoenix Cardinals to the Rams to Houston to Atlanta Chicago and then back to the Rams so he has a second time with a team which is very important he clearly has more than four teams he played for absolutely ever and even when he was a starter as so many journeymen have this happen he had a 500 record in atlanta so it was really only the one year that pop-up season of greatness for chris chandler where he was really that good 
And going through his Wikipedia, he's got some gems in here. He used to get hurt so much early in his career that they called him the Chrysler Chandelier. Chandelier, right? Get it? Uh, And uh, at one point, uh, at the end of his career, Mike Martz said that it was tragic when he played because he held the team's offense hostage. (laughs) He is also an incredible golfer. This is a journeyman thing, isn't it? Being a great golfer. He, uh, well, yeah, you, many times. There are a lot of go- uh, quarterbacks that are, are great golfers or good golfers, I should say. It's uh, in, in particular, I feel like the, the, the guys that like played in the 90s or even 80s, like when I got to Miami, Marino was down there, and you know, I, I played golf with them a few times, but it was like all these quarterbacks, Billy Joe Tolliver and all these guys that would come <laughs> in and play golf with Dan, and it just seemed like that sort of generation of quarterbacks played a ton of golf everybody uh played a lot of golf so uh he's no different i believe he lives uh sort of in the quarterback city of in southern california of del mar california there's like nine quarterbacks that live there breeze and aaron Rodgers, and i mean even got you know carson palmer north turner are literally next door neighbors uh, so it's uh, he and he. I know he lives in that area as well. So he's one. He's part of the Del Mar Quarterback Club. That's amazing. Uh, just to he he won a tournament that's like a celebrity golf tournament in 2007, and he has eight top ten finishes. So Chris Chandler, incredible golfer. And last uh, nugget on Chris Chandler, he has an economics degree. So smart journeyman quarterback. Uh, add him to the list. I he's my pick. Do you have someone different from Atlanta that you like for a journeyman quarterback? Well, maybe not necessarily a journeyman quarterback per se, but David Archer is just a name I want to randomly bring up, and and for two reasons. One, he is their play by I don't know if play by player color analyst. Color analyst he's yeah. been for a long time, and number two, he's an Iowa Stater like myself, and oh, I get to run into him every once in a while to you know at games or you know some sort of spring uh, you know spring game thing or something like that. So great guy and. Uh, it's you know obviously there's there's two uh, former Iowa State quarterbacks in the media game a little bit. Uh, he he's obviously a little more serious than I am calling those games every week. That's a that's an important gig. So I know he played in Canada for a long time. We we haven't really talked about Canada as far as the journeyman quarterback thing. I mean man. That's almost like if you play in Canada for a couple teams, that's almost like worth double, I think, almost the NFL because that's really your journeying all over the North America, not just the United States. And right. so, so David uh, Archer. Maybe David Archer could be included in that group. A hundred percent is a part of this. So here's here, after he graduated from Iowa State, he was the starter for the Falcons for a couple of years, went to Washington, San Diego, Philly, and then played for the following teams, the Sacramento Surge, the Sacramento Gold Miners. I don't even know what league that is. San Antonio Texans, then your Ottawa Rough Riders and Edmonton Eskimos. That is very much a guy who had more than four teams that he played for in the NFL, but then continued his journey after. And uh, he wasn't bad, actually, in 1986. He threw 10 touchdowns and had a 71 quarterback rating. For the time, not terrible. 5-5 five and five record. Did what a journeyman should do. Win half of your game. So, all right. I like it. David I got Archer. One, I got one more for you, though. Okay. One more. Steve DeBerg. Oh, legend. We so can pick a bunch of teams uh, for Steve yeah, DeBerg. Steve DeBerg. He's, he's number one, right? He's number one. San Francisco... Denver, Tampa, 
uh, you know, Kansas City. He keep and, going and, and back to Tampa, right? And uh, uh, a cup of coffee in Miami, and uh, as you said, Atlanta. and then back Atlanta at the end of the at the end yes. of his career. He was yeah, Chris Chandler's I mean, backup when the Falcons <laughs> went to the Super Bowl. The, the, that's got to be forty four years ever. old. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was forty four years old at the end of his career. I mean, the, the all time. He one of the all time greats, and I. Legendary. I think you backed up Joe Montana. Is that right? Kansas City uh, yep. and, and like had a yep. Montana got hurt and he played some games and had like a cast on his left arm or his left hand or something. I <laughs> sort of vividly remember that on that like terrible astroturf back at the uh, the old uh, Arrowhead Stadium. So yeah, Steve DeBerg. I'm going to go with him as my favorite former Atlanta Falcons. It's a great great selection, and here's why: Steve DeBerg from 1978 to 1989 started 101 football games and won 30 of them, okay? (laughs) 30 out of 101. And then he joins Kansas City in 1990, as you mentioned, and plays two seasons as Kansas City starter and goes 21 and 10. <laughs> so he won, he went thirty seventy and one to start his career, and then twenty one and ten, and went to the playoffs and had a couple of good years at ages thirty six and thirty seven. So if you're a, a real a true journeyman backup, you have to be a super likable guy. And if you got only thirty wins and a hundred plus starts, <laughs> you're the best guy. You ever. must be just like this, such a great guy that people don't just they don't want to cut you. They just sort of want to have you on your team, despite the fact that you keep losing football games. And so, there, yeah, Steve DeBerg, maybe a maybe a top five all time journeyman quarterback. Guys, he was yeah. he was the Giants' quarterbacks coach in '95 and '96, and then, and then came and then back came to back play to back up. with with the it's, Falcons in '98. That's it, incredible. You know what, Sage? Let's add on to this. If you retire and then come back to the NFL, automatic like legendary status, well, like Josh McCown. Well, especially if well, if you can take off at least uh, if you could take off part of the year, that'd be nice. I mean, Favre would <laughs> yeah. retire, but we all know it's like he's coming back in six weeks, you know, or something like that. Yes. So yeah, it looks like he, uh, you know, basically sat out a couple years there and came back and played from the age of twenty four up to forty four from nineteen seventy eight to nineteen ninety eight. Absolutely amazing. Incredible. Uh, yeah. so last thing before we uh, wrap up for today, and you're going to be on with Mackie and Judd with Rami on Friday too to preview the game. Um, Jared Goff, outrageous amount of cash is now in his bank account, $110 million guaranteed in that ballpark. Uh, Your reaction, do you like Jared Goff as someone to spend that much money on? I do, and you know they're they're sort of getting them early, I guess, and it's you know you don't want to deal with the issue, you know. The Vikings overpaid for Kirk Cousins because that's literally just what you do in free agency. If uh, if you have to get a guy who's a sort of a starter in a port position, you are going to overpay. Uh, so you know if, if he becomes a free agent and, and the Rams still want him, uh, you know, in a year or so from now, they're going to probably you know forty million dollars a year. You know, so uh, I think that you know thirty two million dollars is a lot of money, but. I also know this, you know, I do this camp in LA and Sean McVay comes every year. He's a part of this, uh, this thing that we have and, and we are talking about and he, he loves, uh, this quarterback. Uh, and, and so it, that's, I think, you know, those words when he was talking to me about that. I mean, he must be, you know, extremely accurate in practice and just do all the things that, uh, you want out of your quarterback. Super relatable. I think his teammates just love him. The coaching staff loves him. So, uh, you know, there's all these things that, you know, we talk about on the field that we all see. 
obviously he does all those things that off the field in the locker room in the meetings in the in the uh, the community I guess that you know they want this guy to be their quarterback uh, for a long time ahead so you know Jared Goff could play for a long time in the NFL he could be one of those guys who makes the most money in the history of the league uh, you know, for a short span. So, you know, he's, uh, I think he's got a long career ahead of him. Uh, he's got a great coach. He's got a very, very good football team. I think they're going to make another run this year. And, and, uh, you know, they locked him up $110 million guaranteed when in, in 2016, at the end of that season, I watched a couple games and he did not look very good. And I was like, man, I don't know if this kid's going to make it. Uh, and that staff gets fired. Jeff Fisher and, and their offensive staff all get completely fired. In comes Sean McVay. A couple years later, $110 million guaranteed. It shows what coaching means in the NFL and college football and high school. Coaching is absolutely huge, in particular for a quarterback. And I think we're all, as Vikings fans, hoping that Stefanski and Kubiak can bring good coaching to this quarterback and make him the best he can be. All right, Sage, thank you for your time. Uh, you will be on with Mackie and Joe Rami on Friday and Monday and Wednesday. We'll be doing this all season long, going through your favorite of all time, journeyman quarterbacks for first uh, for the Vikings opponents, and then, of course, uh, breaking down matchups as well. So thanks, Sage, and uh, we'll come right back. We'll talk to Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus about how similar the Vikings and Falcons really are. We'll be right back. Here you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North.